0: Hey, this is The Moment, I'm Brian Koppelman, thanks for listening. My guest today, who was patient enough to wait for me uh, because for I one was whole minute. Th- about 37 seconds late, uh, is the great A.J. Jacobs, who has uh, rattle off some of the books.
1: I am a writer, I wrote a book called The Year of Living Biblically, uh, I wrote one about called The Know-It-All, where I read the encyclopedia. Dropped dead healthy tried to be the healthiest man alive
0: wrote um a piece that i've thought about a lot in my life and then did further reading which was a piece about radical honesty
1: oh i love it and i love to talk to you about that
0: um sam harris's book uh, I thought took it even further. Yeah, um, which is called lying. Right. Did you read lying? Because that was written what five years after your piece or something I like did,
1: that. To be radically honest, I read like half of lying, uh, and I, I planned to read it. I thought it was good. I just got distracted, and I'm on his uh, podcast coming up, so I'll have to confess.
0: You oh you got well no no you don't have to confess AJ just read the book finish it before <laughs> you go in then you'll save the whole okay very good confession yeah. thing. Yeah. Because he poses a question. I mean, you did this experiment. Well, Just quickly say what you did you, well, for the a, idea a week. What,
1: yeah, the idea is that there's a psychologist in Virginia who believes that we should never lie. But he goes farther than that. He says whatever's on your brain should come out of your mouth. So, like, if you're you you know you're looking at your wife's sister, then you have to say, oh, I'm fantasizing about having sex with you now. So it is, in one sense, uh, it was the worst, best month of my life. Yeah, it was... Uh, did,
0: did you come out of it feeling, because I did it after reading Sam Harris's book. You did? Yeah, for a week.
1: A week. Mine was like three months.
0: I mean, he doesn't say blurt everything out. He His is really a philosophical construct, not psychological construct. Right. It's a, a philosophical one about the utility of lying versus the utility of not lying. And he, he starts by asking this question about um, if you were hiding someone during a genocidal regime. Right. And, um, Uh, one of the members of the regime showed up at your door, is there a utility to not lying? And it starts by making you think that he's going to say don't lie even then. But uh, by the end of the book, he's like, "Well, well, you'll get there. Right, yeah. but perhaps that's a situation where lying is okay. Well, I'm, yeah, I I'm glad.
1: <laughs> I, I I hope that the Nazis don't come, and I, because otherwise I'll just rat someone out. By it. But but it was hard, um, uh, and
0: I've been thinking about it. I did it for a week, and it, at the end, and being in the movie business, you know, <laughs> TV business. <laughs> well, I was a hard.
1: journalist, so uh, yeah, it's certainly. I mean, it is in one sense, it's horrible because you know your wife. Literally, we went into a restaurant. And we ran into some friends of my wife that she hadn't seen since college, and they are like, oh, we should all get together. And I had to say what I was feeling, which was, you seem like nice people, but I just never want to see you again. Because <laughs> 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 I just have yeah. too many friends, you know, that I don't see. And they, my wife was hugely pissed. They were pissed on the utility side we never did see them again which was great so <laughs> which worked out worked perfectly out. for you <laughs> so that did negative. you do that
0: for effect or did you do it like uh, were you really thinking that entire thought or were you pushing it a little bit this is part of a question i want to ask you because what you do has this performance artist right. aspect to it it's
1: true i do sometimes seem like i say i have to I have to take on a character, like a sort of a method actor but a method writer. But in that moment, I really, that was what I was feeling. Uh, And I will say that was horrible. Many other things were horrible. But many things that maybe you found this too, it was so liberating, so wonderful in some ways. Like, first of all, never having to remember your lies. That was... I think I spend like 40% of my mental, mental energy trying to remember what excuse well, I, I gave to which person.
0: I had considered myself, so I get that. Um, I was pretty scrupulously honest before that. Part of the way that I was in, I decided before this podcast we were gonna have a conversation more than an interview um, because I'm, I'm so interested in a bunch of these themes and I'm so interested in this performance aspect of, that, uh, of, of what you do and why you chose this particular version of yourself, this character. Um, but I, I had always, part of um, doing what I did for a living, I, I was able to, I would, I would tell studio people that I thought they were wrong. And sometimes it really hurt me and sometimes it helped me, but I had made the decision not to try to remember the lies and not to, not to do it. And even, even so, even though I would have written in my journal, I do a lot of things, right. as I'm sure you do, I, you know, journal and meditate, I do things to sort of refine that still the week was really hard because there are still white lies, little lies, right. seem, supposedly harmless what lies. What was an example, do you remember? That, that you tell. Of small, your- Small ones where even someone, let's say, who's working for you or with you or on your team does something – and normally you would have let it, I would have let it slide slightly because I could cover it. Right. I had to be like, it's not acceptable. <laughs> you know, and, and you're a tool. You're a huge tool. Well, that's tool. exactly it. Like, yeah,
1: I mean, people would say, do you want to come over to my office and brainstorm? I'm like, nope, not really. Uh, but I one other, uh, just to give the full balance of radical honesty, one other positive I found was that you, it's not just brutal honesty. It's not just like your ass looks fat in that dress. It's also like I love you, man. That kind of crap. So I, during the, I, I was thinking back to my first boss at a tiny newspaper, and I was like, you know what? I'm thinking it. I should express it. So I called him out of the blue and awesome. said, you know, you were a great mentor. You changed my life. And I, I just don't know if I – and he was freaked out, you know, because men, I don't think, are supposed to be quite that emotional. Maybe no one no one of any gender should be. But it was very
0: – Or maybe everyone of all genders should maybe be.
1: Maybe should – not yeah. Well, it, for me, it was certainly I, – I think – I, I can't get inside his head, but I think that he appreciated it. And I know I felt a lot better. So that's another positive of radical honesty.
0: Was there a positive residual effect for you? Because I did find that.
1: Well, I am certainly more honest than I used to be. I, I still lie all the time. <laughs> I like white lies. I am terrible at white lies. You know, it's all like, I love, I don't have to say I like, I love your show, but I'll be like, I love the title sequence was awesome. I right, where love you, your show, by oh, the way. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm <laughs> glad right. to hear it. And if you're lying, I'll take it.
0: <laughs> so, all right, I've been I've been, I've been, thinking a lot about, um, about pedigree in a way. I've been thinking about this version of yourself that you present to the world. And I've known your work for a long time and I've read a lot of it. And I've watched your talk in public and we've been on a podcast together and we have we had a good many mutual friends. But I, I do think that there's a high level of my take is there's a high level of craftedness in this thing that you do
1: i would say that might be true but i will say oh go ahead no please go ahead well one thing is i i once wrote an essay on uh on george washington and i followed all of his rules of being a good person uh which was very interesting but did you
0: hold slaves (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that because I that i think was rule six for mr washington i mean when they in the, the the administration just started saying uh well should we take down the george washington uh, uh, monuments as though uh, that that were a crazy thing and it's like well we should consider we should think about it we should think about what those monuments mean well it's we should think about a way to make the monuments um uh, uh more accurate perhaps the right. like, i did amazing things perhaps we hold him up as somebody who who without whom we wouldn't be here But who had flaws, which might be useful for all of us in life to understand that even our best have
1: deep flaws. Well, well, that's the thing, I think. And this is a little off topic. But yeah, anyone in the past was horrible. And like in 500 years or 200 or 50 years, people are going to look back at me and at you and be like, can you fucking believe those people? They ate animals. They had people clean up their apartments. Instead of robots? What was wrong with they these still, people?
0: They still took shits. Because <laughs> by then, that's going to all be completely done with somehow. It's going to be pre-evacuated. Exactly. This while you're eating. Disgusting animals. Yes. Uh, but, but uh, sorry, you were saying. Okay, I so, asked you about the crafted thing, or I started to say it, uh, and, right, and so you jumped I was going to
1: go into this idea of the authentic self, which I think is very
0: overrated. Seth Godin... Um, is certain that none of us can grab the authentic. Seth talks about this in, with, I think, more clarity than anyone ever. Really? He's written about it a ton. And-
1: I have not read any of that. But I, my feeling is, you know, be yourself, this whole mantra, be yourself. Stalin was being himself. Hitler was being himself. You know, don't be—if you are an asshole, don't be yourself. So I think it's important to craft your personality a little to make yourself a better person. So I think I am—for instance— uh i'm not genocidal so i don't have to work on that but i am um i think i was born very shy and inward and and not uh but i have forced myself to be an extrovert and i think it's made my life better i think that i've had more interesting experience because i've pretended for so long to be an extrovert that i actually became a little more of one when i'm at home like, before coming here, to be radically honest, I'm like, damn, I'd rather just like be at home, you know, I just, and just be myself, because otherwise I'm gonna have to spend so much energy coming up with interesting things to say. Not that I'm doing that. But uh, but then, once I'm in it, once I'm here, I'm having a great time.
0: Well, yeah, it's like what you, you said in your TED Talk. You talk about how uh, this idea, Tony Robbins talks about this a lot, too. Um, take actions and watch how afterwards, uh, you, uh, your brain feels different. Totally. When you do exactly. an altruistic act, suddenly you become invested in that and you right. become more altruistic than you were before. Exactly.
1: And I love this quote. I don't think it's Tony Ra. It's um, the guy who founded Habitat for Humanity. He said, it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than think your way into a new way
0: of thinking. Well, acting. and it turns out that the other great philosopher, George Clinton, uh, had it had it right and wrong. It's true. Free your mind, and your ass will follow. Also, free your ass, your mind will follow. I think it works. I think it works either way. That's George that. Clinton from Parliament Funkadelic. For those of you under a certain age or lacking a certain amount of uh, inborn uh, rhythmic interest, the Clinton um, policy. But I have been, I've been thinking about pedigree and I've been thinking about the ways in which uh, we find the lives that we're living. And a lot of people who listen to this show are people who um, want to access the part of themselves that's their most creative part, even if you're in business or if you're trying to be an artist, in any area, even parent. You know, and I think about... And, and, and there are certain parts of your story, even from above, that is easy to miss if you don't understand what the um, semiotics mean. But to me, knowing you were at Dalton when you were, and then Brown when you were, you know, going from Dalton to Brown to Esquire is in certain ways like going from Andover to Harvard to clerking on the Supreme Court.
1: <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, I can... I consider myself incredibly lucky, and I think that we totally underestimate the amount of luck that's involved in people's success, and, uh, you know, I think it's like 80, 90 percent, and and uh, It I, depends how
0: you define luck, right? You mean the luck of your birth, of being white in America at a certain time, male at a certain time, well, that, raised with privilege, true. in an environment that encouraged creativity, Dalton, right. right? That That's lucky,
1: but I also got lucky breaks, you know, like... I wrote my, uh, a book that uh, you know I thought was pretty good, and it, it did very well, but there were 40 other books that week that were just as good, if not better, that for some reason just didn't catch on. They didn't get on the right radio shows. Do you believe that? I honestly believe that. You, you honestly... believe
0: there were 40 books the week All right, maybe, The Year of Living Biblically came out?
1: Let me say a month. Yes. I believe if I change it to a month, I radically believe that. And I believe you know that That's there's I mean. like hundred um you know who's meryl streep's i think there are like a hundred meryl streep's who are waiting tables, or moms. uh, It's just, there's a tremendous... And I think it's very important to acknowledge this because it increases our compassion. If we believe that we are totally the masters of our own fate, then some homeless guy is like, well, it's his fault, he screwed up. But if you acknowledge how much luck there is, then you can be more compassionate. I I, I think
0: you might be bundling a bunch of stuff.
1: Let Uh, me hear. I like it. Break it down.
0: Well, certainly being aware... That innate gifts, well, a few things. One, I believe there are innate gifts, but I and I, uh, some people happen to have uh, a propensity for certain things. Now, their life experience might not ever allow them to know it. Uh-huh. I, I believe that that's true, right? There aren't a hundred Meryl Streeps running around, as somebody who has auditioned thousands and thousands of people, which I have. It's interesting, I can okay. tell you. That the combination of skills that some, the facility that somebody like that has, right? So the facility with her voice, body, posture, eyes, combined with the way light happens to hit her face is light happens to hit her face and uh, the aperture of a camera happens to capture it is one in a, in millions and millions and millions well
1: it 's interesting because i i 'm not sure I agree, even though i don 't run shows and have not auditioned thousands of people here 's my argument is that I agree there is innate pe- you know differences. I think that some people are born better actors you know like basketball's a good example I, I will never be a professional because i just don 't have the body however if you you know how when you 're in a situation, you get better and better. So like, you know, if you're in a comedy writing room, you are just going to become fu- a funnier person because you're around it all day. So a lot of these uh, Meryl Streep monkeys, they never got to the level where they could be uh, made better by being in all yeah. of these Could shows. there be
0: two other Meryl Streeps? Sure.
1: I am going could to say... Could there be
0: hundreds? There's no, There's no... Hundreds who will never be found. My life experience having been an A&R person whose responsibility was to find talented people. Right. And then doing this thing that I've done for the last 20 years of writing, directing, producing shows and movies, all, um, it tells me that, uh, yes, there's a tremendous disparity of opportunity, no doubt about it. And are there hundreds of people who could be working actors who aren't? Thou- they, yes, there are thousands. Right. But when you say Meryl Streep or... Edward Norton. There just uh, there there are some people born with freakish ability who then worked unbelievably hard and got incredible opportunities.
1: Well, it's interesting. I, think. I I mean, I will be. I was just trying to think. How do we test this? Because how do we empirically test this? I think the only way is to go with the alternate universes, which I believe
0: exists. Do you think Berenstein or Berenstain? That's the big question, right? <laughs> the bears—that's the where the universe split. Everybody exactly. says it. There's either the Barons you either think it was the Berenstein right. bears or the Berenstain bears. I was with the Berenstein bears, and I actually—Me too. Thought, but that's wrong.
1: And I thought they were Jewish, and they're hardcore Christian.
0: We're, we were—we were wrong in thinking that. And LP, great rapper and philosopher, LP, right? Uh, from Run the Jewels, really believes in this all—that that's the mo—That's the evidence that, that the it. world that the universe Can I is. give
1: you my evidence of why alternate universes? The- Please do. Because I always thought, this is an interesting idea, but why isn't life weirder? Like, why aren't there, like, you know, why doesn't uh, Neil Armstrong, you know, walk in? I guess he's dead, but Buzz Aldrin, why doesn't he just walk into the studio right now? Why aren't there weird things happening all the time? And then, in November, Donald Trump got elected president. This reality show star, the like sleaziest worst person in the world and the most important job. And I'm like, I think we are living in an alternate universe. And all the other universes at the universe convention are like, that's the universe where Donald Trump is president. Can you believe those fucking losers? Of
0: course. I mean, you know, I agree with you about Trump, but of course (laughs) your friend, Stephen Dubner, would have a problem with what you just said, where you said it was the world's most important job. He actually thinks... He and his partner, his partner's name is uh, Stephen Levitt. The two of them studied this question, and they a while ago, and they determined that we far overweight uh, yeah. the uh, impact that the president of the United States has, right? And that in fact. It's not, and I've been holding on to that because otherwise I would be terrified. I have to run. I could otherwise have to literally put the thing over my uh, shoulder like, uh, you know, some character in Twain and run (laughs) because I'm so terrified. All right. Here was my question that I was going to try to ask you. And and, and my final thing about the street thing is this The scary thing about trying to be an artist, wanting to be an artist, working as an artist, is that while I do believe that there has to be some talent there, I don't think you know if you have that talent until you've worked incredibly hard for an incredibly long time with an amazing amount of faith and belief in yourself. Right. That's interesting. So that I think the talent might not show up for twenty fucking years. Right. And you might be looked at as crazy like Van Gogh was. You might write letters to your brother about why doesn't the world understand me like Van Gogh. You might die before I do I don't think we know any anyone can tell you that you're not that person. Right. And so the question of whether you are or are not probably doesn't even apply if you want to do this stuff. You just have to do it and then sort of well I
1: hope I, 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 w- I want to move on, but let me just add one other thing, which I totally agree with that and And I was talking to Mike you mentioned Mike Berbiglia before, and I talked to him about this that the really the the necessary ingre- a necessary ingredient in success for someone in the arts is self-delusion. Delusion, I
0: say it all the time. The difference between being delusionally crazy and an artist is literally just showing up tomorrow to do the work again.
1: Exactly. That's it. Because the odds of you succeeding are like 0.01%. Yeah. If
0: I would have known the odds in the beginning, I'm not sure that I would have done it. Right. Um, uh, but you have to keep going. But I guess, what I, so I'm two years older than you, and I grew up on Long Island, and I would come into the city to visit friends at Dalton, and it was... Uh, like, grow oh, every weekend I was in Dalton, uh, I was with people from Dalton. I felt like I'd grown up two or three years per weekend. <laughs> and <laughs> because the level of sophistication that you guys were um, just somehow around, I-, I-, I felt like I was a rube. You know, and I'll tell you, like, the guy I hung out with the most was Lucas Jacklow.
1: Oh, well, that guy is, like, he is the ultimate, like you know i felt first of all let me just to give you some perspective i was a loser at dalton and i i felt so i'm not i don't want to make myself seem like i'm lucas Janklow, who by the way for those who don't know now he was he was like a heavy metal guy and now he's like the top agent in new york and he's like well he was the
0: coolest person in new york city i think and i would he was younger than i was and i would be like "I, i can't believe that guy's take i'm gonna get to go out with like lucas and meet the people around him but that's what I want to know. Who were you at that place? Because Dalton then was like if you took Bright Lights, Big City, and the Bread Eaton Ellis book, and you just mashed them up in a high school. That's what it was like. <laughs> it's like, it where, was... who were you? Like, how did it work for you? How did you look at – were you an outsider? Were you studying them? Like, what did it feel like to grow up in that That's a good in that question. Place? I mean, it was
1: – I think I knew it was very warped because it's this very – You did? Yeah. How? I think so. I'm, I mean, if you just, any modicum of self-awareness, you can see that this is the 1% of America and that it's not normal. So I, uh, you know, I I think I, I I did not, uh, I was not uh, a winner. I was definitely the dork. Uh didn't have a girlfriend, didn't have, I did do the, like their stand-up comedy, we would have the shows, and uh And I actually still think, I'd say once every two weeks, about a joke I made at that stand-up comedy. In 10th
0: grade, what grade?
1: It was probably a 10th or 11th. and it on us. I don't know if I've ever achieved this, but now I set it up too high. Well, it was basically, I was doing my monologue, and I was saying... Uh, that they were videotaping it, which was new for the time. And I said, you know, if people are going to be watching this, they're going to be fast-forwarding through my monologue, so I'm going to move very slowly so <laughs> that when they're fast-forwarding, it'll just look normal. Uh, so that's And uh, it killed. I think, I don't know, it killed. For me, I just remember, I was like, oh, I like that idea. And
0: did it change who you were there at all? Did your being that funny in a public way. I think so. I think so,
1: because I was definitely not... Again, it was even back then, I was forcing myself to go on stage because I not You don't, were scared. Yeah, I was terrified. and Yeah, I remember the first public performance I gave in eighth grade, I literally froze. It was one of those... Like, I couldn't speak, and they had to take me off stage. Like, the English teacher was like, okay, thank you. I, I, I could not speak, So, that, but I just forced myself to keep doing it. And now I, I love it much more than writing. I actually, writing for me is, you know, I find it, I don't know how you like it, but I, I hate it. I would much rather research or talk. Those are the two things I love. But I feel, you know, I have to do the writing to get to that point.
0: Yeah, there are times... I mean, how how, how do I feel about it? It's like such a gigantic thing in my life that it's... I I love it that it's impossible. Uh Uh-huh. Right? It's impossible. For me, the 12 minutes that you're flying, or the two hours where suddenly you're both here and not here. You're in the clouds, but you're like hyper-present, and the thing just feels like it's... You've earned it. You've worked so hard to get there, but the thing feels like it 's happening to you, and you know you 've done the thing there 's very little that 's better than that that 's like an individual True. achievement that is
1: and I will say one thing that 's from I remember talking to uh, a writer for The Daily Show, and he was telling me that his best part of his day is when he surprises himself when he 's writing and that and I never thought about it, but that totally clicked, and that really is for me the joy when like you can surprise yourself and it's such a yeah. weird phenomenon how can you surprise yourself
0: it, it, it's that sometimes you don't that thing people say of other characters take over and speak for themselves that, that's not exactly true but it is true that you realize that things in your when it's going well you, things your subconscious has picked up things you've synthesized that you didn't realize you synthesized will come out of the for you in an essay or somehow it'll show up or it'll show up for me in a character's mouth, or in an exchange between two characters, and I'll, I'll realize that was something I was trying to work on or think about, but I had no idea I'd sort right. of solved. Totally. Yeah. So I like I, So for me, it's all worth it in the same run way like uh, runners talk about the first couple miles, so they suck. But then, do you run? I don't run. I did. Have a you book done about, it? Out? Yeah. 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 You, I did a book about health, and. Uh, right. I haven't read that one.
1: Well, I felt. Um, you know, I hate aerobic exercise, and I I tried to turn that using the fake it till you make it, and it never turned. I still hate aerobic exercise, but I do walk on a treadmill while typing. So I do. I was one of the early adopters of that uh, bizarre
0: and ridiculous trend. Yeah, I, I thought about getting a walking desk, but but haven't. I, I, it's uh, embarrassing. But um, reading Murakami's what I talk about when I talk about running really made me start running, and then, um, I really came to love it. I ran incredibly slowly, but I started doing a lot of miles, and it felt in the middle somewhere. You would feel the same thing I you feel when you write.
1: I well, I make. think the only yeah podcasts actually have helped aerobic exercise. I think a lot, and and the fact that. You can listen to them. I listen to you on uh, on double speeds, so it's very weird talking to you now. I'm like, what's
0: wrong? with That's so funny. You listen Fry? on double speed. <laughs> I do. Wow, I, do. I never do.
1: Oh, I highly recommend it. I mean, it's it's not. You don't. Have, it takes like two minutes to get into it, it's and then like, you're in, and then you're in. It's Even like,
0: the timing of like jokes works because it's well, relative it, timing.
1: It does well as a as a Hollywood guy, a man who makes film for uh, his living. You will hate this, but. On you can download on YouTube. You can download a movie and watch the movie in double speed. And so you, I you did, send me that link, please. I will. Well, it's just yeah, it's the whatever it's called, it, Red. But but I I did uh, Manchester by the Sea, and I watched it on double speed, and it was slow on double speed. And I was like to my wife who saw it in the theater. It's like, how the fuck did you watch that?
0: You didn't. I was going to say, did you cry at the thing? But you didn't. Well, it's
1: weird. You do experience emotions. It's just quicker. Like you get you get <laughs> the high and then you get the every low. every part
0: of this sounds bad to me. <laughs> um, so, but this I guess was the question. So you're at Dalton and you feel, and I, I want to talk about the, the, the childhood a little bit because for people who make their living in uh, unconventional ways often. Like the roots of it, I think, are there somehow in in, in some ways. Like, did you find yourself then as an outsider to the cool crowd or whatever, were you trying, were you already looking at groups of people and how they conducted themselves and like talking to yourself about it? Were you trying to understand why you fit where you fit and what made you different? Well,
1: I do think from a very early age, I loved studying. So even in high school... I lived on 82nd Street, which is a block away from the Celebrity Scientology Center. So I went in high school into the Scientology Center to check it out, because that's what I love to do, is sort of study these groups. And did it you was, get the e-meter put on you? Oh yeah, I did the whole thing, and they like, I will say this, uh, they put the e-meter on me, then they made me sit and watch this propaganda movie, And I slipped out in the middle and I wandered around and I went up to the fourth floor and there was this huge office, like bigger than this room, beautiful wood paneling It had a desk, a sailor's, a captain's hat on the desk and named plate that said L. Ron Hubbard. And by this point, L. Ron had been dead like 10 years. So I'm like, I was like, is L. Ron come? They like busted me and they're like, what are you doing in here? I was just. Just checking it out. And I was like, is Elrond coming in? And they were like, they said, we want to be ready in case he returns to bodily form.
0: Yeah, if he chooses to. Should he make that choice, we want to be here to catch. Exactly. Always a good strategy, by the way. And let me say this. If Elrond wants to come back and do the podcast, open invitation. (laughs) If he wants to just... Uh, Materialize corporeally at um, this there microphone. I would if it, Now, I would ask you to step. I think you would understand. I would understand. But I would ask you to step it aside. Would be great
1: get. Uh, so, by the way, I'm sorry to keep uh, going, but this is an urban legend that I don't know if it's true, but I like to think it's true. Yeah. Is that the Jehovah's Witnesses have a beautiful, well appointed apartment in Manhattan in case when Jesus returns to the world? Because where are you going to put it? you got to be prepared.
0: I, I just listened to a great podcast uh, about Jehovah's Witnesses. I think it was This American Life. Did you hear it? I didn't. I mean, I know you listened to that show, I think it was a few weeks ago, about um, someone who left the church and it really uh, shook the person up. Uh, it's worth it, actually. Go find that This American Life because uh, you get inside. It's very easy to just look at any religious group other than your own as, as absurd. And I mean, I'm an atheist, and I think all uh, uh, in, in, a, in a pretty hardcore way, but it's always fascinating what religion gives to people what they, yeah. and the group, and um, it's, it's worth it.
1: Well, I, I spent time for my Bible. No, I know book. you wrote I, the, I hung out with the Jehovah's Witnesses for quite some time. And you were a
0: shepherd. And you say in your TED Talk and in the book that it was pretty good being a shepherd.
1: It's not a bad job. How long I'm, did you do it for? It's uh, just a day. It's very... So who knows? But That's well, not my... shepherding,
0: really. <laughs> I can't. I don't think I can give it up to you. No, so we this do you think of yourself um in private moments more as an entertainer or as a writer or as a philosopher or as a critic of oh, the world? That's an
1: interesting idea. Well, I'm on this thing now. That sounds pretentious, but that I think nouns are very dangerous. So I think we should do more verbs just because when I'm I'm writing, I'm a writer. I mean, you, you're like the slashiest person I know. You have like 42 jobs, and I think that's great. And when I did my book on the encyclopedia, that's what I loved about these 19th century guys like Goethe. He was a writer. He was a lawyer. He owned a theater. He designed... um, he designed costumes for plays. he was a color theorist he did irrigation schemes like the
0: list is insane but I guess I'm interested in whether you are more interested in discovering communicating um or getting a reaction right there're different there are different pieces of what you do
1: oh well, I don't really care about getting a react- like i mean I do, but I don't think it's I don't think art should uh and i'm not saying i do art but entertainment
0: wait stop why well, why is that why are we all so scared to do that we would define ourselves so people do this this is a really again and i know a lot of people listening people are like i can't say i'm a writer until i've published three books and whatever you know well, of course what you do is art well, i don't know what you know you, one can make a decision i like right. whether each piece is good or, like each individual thing we've made good art for sure like why? What's the scare? Well, why is that word of all the words scary? I just think it's a pretentious
1: word. It's what to like, pre- "define pretentious"? You know, it's just you know. I, what are you pretending to? I don't, I don't to? have a beret, and I don't live in a work in an attic. But I would say, isn't that
0: a self sorry? But I, isn't that a self defeating uh, conception of what it means to be? You know, I don't. I I'm am I'm, I'm uh, anti glibness. I've decided on this podcast, and all so right. I want to like dig in, be because you have a great facility. But it, and it's a huge facility for being self deprecating. And I wanna understand why with all your success and everything. Right. You well it need is interesting.
1: Be. I thought about this because Kanye West, who I'm not a fan of, he says As that a human he, or as an artist? As a human. I think he's yeah. Because
0: as an artist, like I can't yeah. stand everything I know about him as a human. Right. But he's one of the great artists of our lifetime, exactly. which is maddening.
1: Exactly. I know. Maddening. I think a lot this is a topic I actually think a lot about. Like, should you can you enjoy these the art by horrible people? Uh, and I think what do you think? Well, I think you know it, it, there's a limit. Like you know, Adolf Hitler, he was a painter. I I don't think that morally you can enjoy his paintings just because uh, he's such a horrible person. You could make person.
0: the decision. That's so interesting, man. You could make the decision not to broadcast that feeling about the art but i don't know that if the art moved you you could stop yourself from feeling it
1: (laughs) true yeah well that's right if you
0: saw the painting right you know like there's a cinematographer who got arrested for being a pedophile the guy shot beautiful images i know the movies i can't now i won't watch woody allen movies is that right? Woody Allen changed my life, no doubt about it. Really? One of the biggest influences on the way I think about making stuff and why I make it. I know the movies by heart. Right. I will not watch a Woody Allen movie. I haven't watched one in four years, probably. Wow, that's hardcore.
1: What you, about, what else? But I would
0: love, But but here's the thing. Yeah. I won't lie and say that I wouldn't love a Woody Allen movie if I watched it. I would love it. I wouldn't be able to stop the reaction because he's... Um, such an incredible artist. Right. But, but And once he dies, I'll watch his work again. But while he's alive, I don't think I can support it.
1: Right. That's interesting. Well, it is what we talked about before. Like Everyone from the past is horrible,
0: so like, I'm sure... But what is it that you don't want to identify yourself as uh, someone who makes art? Because you didn't make... Not that I make art, but what, what, what does that mean? Well, I don't
1: want to say that. I think declaring myself something is uh, pretentious. If people want to call me, you know, I, I've been called lots of names. and I, Whatever they want to call me is fine. I just try to do what I do. And, uh,
0: but is your goal to make art? Like, that's what I'm saying, right? It, it, can you allow yourself to say that, at my best, what I'm trying to do is create something that has the effect on people that great art has on me?
1: I suppose so. I mean, for me, more... I, I mean, my goal, I see my main goal in life as trying to make people a little less dickish, uh, you know, and I'm...
0: Well, you're failing here with me today. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: So, yeah, and, you know, I'm a dick, too. I think we were born dicks, we were born selfish, so the goal is to be, uh, just trying to be a little kinder, and so I that's and have a good time doing it so i i do love my job i'm very lucky so that whatever you want to call me that's what i'm trying to do
0: sure see i guess the reason i care about this question is that it was crippling to me for a long time i didn't become a writer until i was 30 and part of the reason was that i had learned as a young person that some people were Uh, predestined to be artists they were the ones recognized by the other kids they were cool in a certain way their voices changed before mine probably they uh, could play they could someday they could play uh, what your balls will drop and then but they could they could play uh, Stairway to Heaven on the guitar and I couldn't and I didn't realize they'd worked at it and I thought it just happened and I thought oh those are the artists and then the rest of us ha- uh, have to just uh, muddle along in some way. And uh, only when I uh, did the artist's way and, and uh, allowed myself to uh, cast that aside and risk it was uh, did my life change, and I became comfortable in my skin right. and all this stuff. And so when I see someone like you who is so uh, successful at this stuff, also sort of like propagate this idea that to call yourself an artist is to be pretentious i'm worried for the person listening struggling to allow herself to believe she can make art
1: well i'm happy to call other people artists just not myself i don't want to label myself and i will say one thing that i found very freeing in this idea of what you talked about like the, the feeling uncomfortable with being an artist uh I did an article once where I I tried to be the most creative I could be for a week. So I did, you know, there are all of these these hacks. That if the color blue is supposed to make you more creative, so I painted my room blue, and I had, uh, uh, you know, drinking. Actually, by the way, you're supposed to like one or two drinks actually is very helpful for uh, for for idea generating. After that, it gets <laughs> it's a diminishing returns, but. But one of the things I talked to several of these professors who study creativity, and one thing they told—they all talk about is, you know, Beethoven made a lot of shit, and uh, Picasso painted terrible paintings. So if you get away from this idea that the great artists were always great, um, you know, it's it's a numbers game. If you put out a lot of stuff, a lot of it's going to suck, and some of it's going to be good. And uh, and that's the way I feel about myself. Like I, I'm not deluded. I think some of my stuff is better than others, but uh, but it's very freeing in terms of creating is being willing to accept failure.
0: Crucial, actually. Did so I, I had written down this question. And you started to speak to it a second ago, which is you said. I mean, you said it in a uh, self-deprecating way. We're all you know born dicks, and then life is about um, you know gaining empathy and not continuing to be a dick, but. Uh, how much did you consciously craft this outlook on life, and how much did it just develop through living?
1: Well, I do think, you know, we talked earlier about acting, you, know, you become a better, you, know, you can change your mind by acting. And I honestly think these experiments I've done, like living biblically, you know, I, it changed me. i I shaved my beard off at the end. I had a crazy beard. You know, I don't wear the robes and sandals anymore. Uh, I wear mixed fiber clothing, which was not allowed in the Bible. But there were things when when I would force myself, to go to the hospital to visit a friend. You know, I hated hospitals. I didn't want to visit a friend, and, uh, but I would force myself, because that's what a good person would do, and I would become a little more compassionate. So I do think I've improved. I'm still a selfish, horrible person, but uh, I think I'm better than I was, and I think about it all the time.
0: Did, did you start the tithing as a result of the Bible thing, or were you already doing it? No,
1: that was as a result. And actually, that is I'm wearing an. an I see effective altruism. altruism,
0: altruism, which is your, which is. The, can you explain what that is? Because I think it's a wonderful thing.
1: I'm a big fan. It's basically the idea is Mother Teresa. If Mother Teresa and and Spock had, from Star Trek had a kid, it would be effective altruism. So the idea is to try to, if you're giving money, give it to the what has the most positive effect on the world and. So they'll, they'll find the charities that save. And you can save, you know, $2,000, I think, is about the going rate for a life. And I actually... For a life
0: in what way? What, what do you mean? Say that again?
1: Well, you know, there are different ways to calculate it, but $2,000... given to what? Given to... Well, these... Uh, one of the top is um, uh, the uh, Malaria, Anti-Malaria Foundation, Against Malaria Foundation, and they have NETS. For people in Africa, and they say because malaria kills, I think three thousand people yeah, a day. It's all.
0: I mean, it's interesting. Um, the malaria question is a good question because you know sometimes the nets backfired. But oh, really? You should look into the nets.
1: Uh, well, it's interesting. You should look into the nets. All I right. mean,
0: there's definitely like you ha- We have to stop malaria, but um, th- there are questions about. Well, these
1: guys, actually, that's all they do, and is, they claim that, that the nets work, but
0: yes. I'll look into I'm sure it. that they largely work, and you, people should use them, and they've been improved, but there is, sometimes people have used them for other purposes. Basically, there are villages that then took them in because they needed food and used them as fishing nets, and then oh, the fish became toxic, and there are lots of worse uh, effects sometimes. But. Um, it's there's so a lot of questions give, about this. So give up? I know. Like I wouldn't that. give up. No, no, no we have <laughs> to do something. No, one thing I've been doing lately is um, if I go out to eat, and uh, I think a great thing to do is like once a week, if you go out to eat in some nice restaurant, or once a month. Um, if you give the same amount that you spent on the check oh, to a food bank, yeah. a local food bank. That's a good I, one. I, it's like a carbon offset kind of a thing. I guess you could give both to them. Right. But like, if you're gonna live your life and occasionally treat yourself, one thing I try to remember to do, I don't do it all the time, I'm not perfect. right? But when I remember to do it, I will, if I spend X on a dinner, I'll just write that night, just give the same amount to that. the food bank.
1: Well, it's interesting because I wrote an article about this. I tried to figure out what is the best way to use my money. And in one sense, it can be crippling because, like, every you know, I'm drinking this Starbucks Frappuccinos like three dollars. I'm basically murdering someone, might every time I uh drink a Starbucks cappuccino. And I actually thought about this while watching your show because uh, the uh, what's the name of the uh, the billion? The Bobby hedge- Axelrod, yeah, Bobby. He when he he donated what a hundred million to uh, a, like a performing arts uh so yeah. if you if you uh it's calculate... Axelrod Hall now because
0: he gave the hundred million yeah. exactly,
1: he basically killed so a hundred million divided by two thousand i don 't know what, but he basically murdered hundreds of thousands of people by doing that in one way of thinking i'm not saying that well, if the you right want way. a huge
0: mind fuck uh, you know that open source the, the open classroom thing that Famous Harvard professor, whose name I can't remember, does that class on ethics, and he talks about the train. You know, would you divert a train that was going to kill someone? He keeps right. creating these the scenarios. Yeah, What's I definitely
1: a- would, by the way. I would flip that switch in a second.
0: But you think you would, and you know you, part of you knows you would.
1: Right. I don't know. if I, I think about it a lot. Would, it, would you Me flip too. it?
0: Me too. It's a utilitarian... Qu- well, pose the question as it's posed.
1: Well, I, uh, I don't remember this. The trolley problem is basically a train is hurtling towards five people and you have the ability to flip a switch that will divert the train and kill one person so do you flip that switch? doing
0: nothing kills five doing something right kills you one.
1: have to take the action to murder someone but by doing so you're saving five other people yes
0: i i uh I think I would, but I don't know un- until one is in the situation, one doesn't know what, what one's level of of courage truly is. We though to, we can prepare.
1: We have to start doing that. We have to start testing that.
0: How do you want to test it? <laughs> <laughs> what uh what change are you looking to make in people with your work?
1: Uh well, as I say, being less dickish would be nice. Um I do think my new thing is uh that I, I do want people to embrace science and logic and passion. I mean, not, not passion. Passion, I think, can be dangerous. Passion can be good, but passion can be dangerous. The, the whole idea of uh, the Trump election really messed with my mind. Because when I was writing the Bible book, I was like, I do still think there are great things about religion. I think it provides a community. I think that you can, um, that it is a force for good sometimes like civil rights, but the belief in the supernatural and the rejection of reason, I think that we've reached a stage where it's too dangerous to do that. And then that, the election of Trump is an example of that
0: so yeah i've noticed uh, that it's actually allowed you to also i mean um not to parse this so slice this so thinly but um as you know, religion was also used to uh as a force for uh pro uh Religion was also used against civil rights. Right. Well, against miscegenation. Like, right. Religion was used to justify the worst behavior. Exactly. At the same time that religion was a galvanizing, but it was a galvanizing force for civil rights in the '60s. There were as many Dixiecrats who were uh, religious, like leaders, saying that it was against God for blacks and whites to marry. Right. Right, They were using that in the same way. We just have to understand. You know uh i'm so anti i'm very anti religion. <laughs> i have a, i have evangelical friends john Acuff, who's a very good friend of mine is and a great writer you know he's an evangelical christian we talk about this stuff all the time and it's a huge force for good in john's life and his family's life and their community's life and so i i can respect and understand that completely and right. understand his choices and still think overall it's a force for <laughs> well it's for interesting doom. when
1: i wrote that book because the idea was i'm going to follow the bible as literally as possible yes. And the reaction has been fascinating because atheists will tell me they enjoyed reading the book because it showed how crazy the Bible is. But then I got a lot of religious people who said that it helped renew their faith. And uh, so it's like the confirmation bias in action. Like people just read it the way they wanted to read it. And what were you hoping people would take away from it? Well, one of my main hopes was then don't take the Bible literally because otherwise you'll be
0: throwing stones but, at adulterers So I want to talk about the character. So you, one thing that really is exceptional about what you do and is something that like, people who want to be creative forces should study is your, uh, the character, the voice and tone is um, incredibly well and consistently wrought throughout your stuff. So how how much how did you find that mode of expression, and then how consciously do you safeguard it now, that's interesting
1: well, i will say i um uh, you know it, it is it is artificial in some ways, like everything happens. That I write about actually did happen, of course. But I, I you're
0: presenting it, you're choosing how to present exactly. it exactly. I, I guess I'm interested in the craft aspect of that, right? How did you define what that voice is? Well, I think
1: uh, just taking myself, maybe exaggerating it, you know, making sure that uh, I I think one of the things I want to make sure is I, that I'm an everyman, so that. When people read, when I go through these things, they can maybe relate to them. So that is important to me. I mean, I talk about my wife a lot and our marriage. You know, if I wrote about our real marriage, it would be incredibly dull because it is like 90% uh, fine and then 10% conflict. And the 10% conflict is what you use. Yeah, that's what you got to use.
0: But I guess this is the part that sometimes being radically honest— it doesn't bother me about your work. I really enjoy your work, but I do question um, the everyman choice because sometimes it seems to me that you present yourself as a Candide-like figure, as almost a Peter Sellers in being there, kind of like <laughs> you know a level of um, innocence mm-hmm. that you don't have. And I, um, you are a true intellectual. You read a ton. You know a ton. Even in the encyclopedia thing, there is this like, "ah shucks, geez, wow component to how you present this stuff. Right. That almost, and it ties into this, I think, fear of taking yourself too seriously. Right. And I don't understand it because Trump, the one, one good thing is um, you're willing to be a dick on Twitter about Trump. That's true. Well, and that be true. who you are, actually. You're willing to be like, no, no, no. I have a ferocious intellect, I read a lot, I study this shit, here's what's fucking crazy. And you'll just say it. But in your work, you don't often do it. You'll do it when you appear on someone's thing, but in right. your own work, you don't really point. do it. And I don't understand why, as a growing artist...
1: Well, I, I will say, I mean, my next books, I think, will be more
0: political. And <laughs> less, you think less of that... Do you know you know what I mean? Which is like well, you kind will, of like knock your like, the character of AJ Jacobs is not as smart right? as AJ Jacobs, <laughs> and that's I, it bothers me. Interesting for well, some reason. Well,
1: I will say this: I think one of the important things is most important things is intellectual humility and being aware of how I, I like the idea. There's this um, this group called Rationality Project, and I believe the the it's strong. strong strongly stated, loosely held beliefs. And I believe (laughs) that. I believe shallowly, We you know, people say, oh, I have a deep-seated belief. I'm like, that's bad. Don't have it. The only deep-seated belief I have is don't, try not to be a dick. But everything else, I am very loose, you know, if... If some evidence comes, I want to be able to change yes. it. Yes. Yes. So that's why I think I try not to be pontificating, because I I I want to make sure that I am intellectually and epistemologically humble.
0: Yes. <laughs> uh, no, that makes sense. And and in fact, uh, arguably the smartest person I I know um, is Mark Andreessen, because if you, basically if you you know anyone can say for anybody if they knew Mark Injuries, and that's probably the smartest person that they know. And I, he said once to me that um, he was describing what he liked about a certain group of people, and he said, as his highest compliment in a way, they love being proved wrong. That there's nothing, nice he thing. goes, there's nothing they like more than realizing they were wrong about something, and they can change their opinion on a, on a dime. Right. And and, and and he said it as a, a way to sort of uh, be laudatory about about somebody, this group of people. And... I loved it I, I, and, and thought, yes, that's, that is uh, one of the highest marks you can, you can get is like, ah, oh, how great to learn exactly. that there's another way.
1: And, and in politics, too, you know, the, word, the phrase flip-flopper is seen as this horrible thing. I'm like, that's, that could be good if you're flip-flopping for the right reasons. Do, do you, if you're flip-flopping for evidence, then flip uh, and flop.
0: I mean, you know, David Foster Wallace talk, famously talked about – Um, I guess in that essay on Mark Lehner, famously talked about the need for earnest writers, uh, that the age of irony was over. But I wonder if, uh, you know, I wonder if the, the, the earnestness sometimes is what, like one can make the argument that you're a philosopher. And I even saw it in your TED thing. And I thought, yeah, that is kind of what AJ's doing. But the sort of uh, the earnestness almost cuts against the, uh, uh, the work being taken as seriously as, as I believe some part of you wants it to be.
1: <laughs> well, I do. Uh, yeah, I guess there is a tension. I will say there's a tension in that I want, I want to say these things, but then I also want to know that I don't know anything. So I want to be an expert, but I don't trust experts. Uh, And I don't, I think, you know, I I do, I studying science a little while doing this book on health, it was like you could find the smartest Harvard professors just saying complete quackery and bunkum. So just being very careful not to say this is the only way. Uh, So that's where the self-effacing part maybe comes in. But then again, I have these strong beliefs. Right. So I. But then, they're
0: strong but loosely held. Strong, strong but, loosely. but loosely held. Well, um. All right. I don't want to end without talking about your new book. So, uh, which I know the purpose of which was to show us the ways in which we're more similar than not similar. So, can you you want to quickly just uh talk about what it is?
1: Yeah. Sure. It is. Uh, well, it was about three years ago now. This I got an email out of the blue from this guy in, in Israel, and he said, "You don't know me, but I'm your eighth cousin." I thought he was going to say wire $10,000 to Nigeria. But it turned out he's part of this group who's actually building a family tree of the entire human race. And I just love this idea because it's the whole idea of that we are incredibly connected and, uh, and we seem to be going in this direction of separate tribes and increasing tribalism. And that to me is very disturbing. So I wrote a whole book about the weird and wonderful world of uh, the family and how much it's changing and and how we should broaden the definition. And before I came here, I just spent an hour on the internet.
0: Say the title of the book first.
1: It's called It's All Relative. And is it available right now? Comes out in November, whenever that may be. But you can
0: pre-order it on Amazon.
1: That's right. It's All Relative. And you... And I are officially cousins. Really? We are officially... How are we related, sir? Well, first of all, we're both Jewish, so we're we're like, you know, our ancestors love to interbreed. But I was able to find, through like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, that you are officially my third cousin, three times removed, husband's first cousin's wife's sister's husband's first cousin's husband. (laughs) (laughs) Let me see. It's through uh, your wife, Amy. It's through... Amy's father, and then, do you know that name?
0: I know these people, and, and you're related to them.
1: Right, exactly.
0: Amazing. Well, uh, I'm honored to be your cousin, and now I feel more um, uh, able to tell you to take yourself a little more seriously. <laughs> and uh, because now that we're um, Mishbucha, I can say yes, exactly. that uh, you're representing me out there in, in, the, in the world. I think that might be the first, Yiddish word I've ever used on the show. <laughs> I'm sure I've said schmuck before, actually. Is mishpuchah uh, Hebrew or Yiddish?
1: I feel it's Yiddish. I feel it's I Yiddish, know. too. Again, I'm going uh, to be epistemologically humble and say, I don't know.
0: But you think. But I think. You hold uh, I, to the fact I, that I it believe. is. AJ Jacobs, thanks for coming and doing this. You thanks can find AJ on it. Twitter. He doesn't just rant against Trump, but he does rant against Trump. <laughs> uh, and what's your name on there? AJ Jacobs. At AJ I'm Jacobs. at Brian Koppelman. Uh, on twitter you can also write me at the moment at gmail.com if you have anything you want to say about um this podcast or if you want to tell me how you're related to aj or yell at me for not figuring out what the ultimate kanye west point was i think we never got back there and i feel (laughs) reasonably uh bad about it that said uh aj thanks for being here everybody listen next week thanks for listening to this if you listened uh, on Double Speed, I suddenly don't feel nearly as bad about uh, <laughs> any mistakes I made because they yeah. went by. And we just was- we only so wasted
1: like 27 minutes of their life, 28 right. minutes. Take care. Thanks, AJ. This is fun.
0: You.